Hello and welcome to What the Buck. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's Welcome to another episode of What the Bump. Today, we have Rachel on the podcast to share her birth story. So thanks for being here, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. So Rachel, starting off, tell me a little bit about yourself and your family. Yeah, so uh, I'm Rachel. I am 30. Um, I live in South Charlotte with my husband and high school sweetheart. We've been together Mm -hmm. since we were 17. Um, And we have our first uh, baby as our dog. He was our do not have a baby puppy and it worked. So if anybody's feeling that itch, but not sure, get a, get a puppy. Um, <laughs> and then we've got two kids. Our oldest daughter is uh, three and a, almost three and a half. And our son is one. Awesome. Yeah. That, um, getting a puppy definitely will like scratch that itch temporarily for sure. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Cause they, they keep you busy that that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm, um, I'm mostly stay at home parent. Um, but I, um, I'm also a birth doula and, um, in 2022, I also plan to become a childbirth educator. Uh, so that's sort of my professional universe. Yes. That's very fun. Of course I can relate to that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay. So you said your daughter is three and a half, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So tell me about finding out you're pregnant with her. Yeah. So my husband and I actually took a trip around the world, um, in this fall of, or I guess late summer of 2017. And when we got back, we found out we were pregnant. Um, we had gotten pregnant on that trip. Uh, we were super excited and, um, amazed that things had happened, you know, first shot out of the gate. Um, and unfortunately about seven weeks into that pregnancy, um, I miscarried, uh, it started out as just like brown spotting and then progressed from there. Um, uh, the OB that I was seeing at the time in the like follow-up ultrasounds to that experience said that they thought there might be some irregularities with my uterus. So advise us to wait, um, before trying again until we could get things really investigated. Um, instead we got drunk at a wedding <laughs> and two weeks later found out we were pregnant again. Um, so, uh, with what would, would be my daughter. Um, so things were kind of scary at the beginning because, you know, I was like, oh, oops, we didn't get all this, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff taken care of. Um, and so they treated us as like high risk in the beginning and there was lots of extra tests and ultrasounds and things. Um, but then, um, towards the end of my first trimester, they were like, now everything's great. You can Mm -hmm. proceed as normal. So, um, really scary in the beginning, um, coming right off that miscarriage, but, um, then, it was kind of nice actually at the beginning to have all that extra hand holding and extra scans and stuff that most people don't get. And, you know, it can be like, wait, what do you mean? Like somebody check me. Um, but I, I got all of that. So yeah, I that think was- that that would be really nice because pregnancy after miscarriage and a lot of women, um, unfortunately have experienced that. And it's really hard, like mentally, emotionally, you just, you overthink everything you're walking on eggshells. Um, so I I can imagine getting like extra scans and extra checkups and stuff would kind of be like soothing, um, because you probably had a good amount of anxiety around that second pregnancy for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, and something that I, I think some people talk about with miscarriage sometimes, but maybe not often enough is the fear of going to the bathroom. And that sounds really silly, but that's usually where you spot something wrong the first time. So for the first, you know, few weeks, few months, um, you, every time you go to the bathroom, you look at the toilet paper nervous. Um, and then eventually you forget to be worried about that. Um, but you know, especially when you're in those early days of pregnancy, you go to the bathroom a lot. So there's a lot of just 
getting amped up about it um, every day. So I just want to like acknowledge fear of going to the bathroom if you've had, if you've had a miscarriage. Yeah, that's, that's extremely true. I think that, I don't know. I think my whole pregnancy, I looked at the toilet paper after I wiped. So maybe a little bit less as I went on. Um, but I can definitely tell you for like, especially those first 12 weeks. Um, that's funny that you said that because that's like extremely true. You really right. do. I mean, every time I went to the bathroom, I'm like, please God, like, you know, because I, I had a there, miscarriage with my first pregnancy too. So when I got pregnant with my daughter, Adeline, I was like, every time I went to the bathroom, just so nervous on if anything would be on the toilet paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, that, that is a very, very real thing. So how was your pregnancy? It was really like, quote unquote, textbook. I had um, a lot of nausea, a lot of fatigue. Um, one of my pregnancy books called it bionic fatigue. And my husband would just always refer to my bionic fatigue. Like I would get home from work and need a nap. Um, I had really severe heartburn and sciatica. Um, and then, but I didn't really get like real help with those until my third trimester, I finally started going to a chiropractor and accepted the prescription strength, you know, harbor medication. I was trying to like manage it all beforehand. Um, I don't know why I was trying to like tough it out. And with my second pregnancy, I did not tough anything out. I was like, okay, I would like my prescription and my chiropractor, please. Um, right at the very beginning. So, um, but other than that, it was very sort of standard. Um, we, I had had um, a positive experience with my OB, like helping me manage or, you know, go through everything with the miscarriage. So we just decided to stick with, um, regular OB care. Um, not that in Charlotte, we have a ton of other options. Um, we had considered going to the birth center that was here in Charlotte, but they closed part of the way through my pregnancy, I think. Um, so anyway, we were just planning a normal hospital birth, um, with a doula, and I just sort of threw myself into research and books and podcasts. Um, and tried to make it throughout my pregnancy, make myself like as knowledgeable as possible, but medically it was, it was really uneventful. That's great. That is of course a blessing. You know, I think everybody to some degree, like heartburn, if you don't have heartburn or, and I got terrible sciatica pain in my third trimester, like out of nowhere. Um, and I was so afraid, like, Oh my God, I'm going to have my daughter and it's not going to go away. Like I was so, it was, I mean, I remember I was a labor and delivery nurse full time throughout my whole pregnancy. And, um, I remember I was the baby we were pushing and the baby just got birthed and then my sciatica locked up and I'm like, great, oh, this no. is the worst time. Baby is out. I need to, you know, help and do things. And this is my patient. And now the baby's also my patient. And I like was paralyzed. And I was like, yeah. you guys, I literally looked at them. I'm like, I can't move. I literally can't move. Can't move. Um, so never yeah. underestimate that sciatica pain. I have a new appreciation no. for anybody like older people, how they start to get that sciatica pain. I never understood it until I had it during pregnancy and I will never, um, underestimate it again, I guess. Yeah. My husband one time had to carry me from, I was like brushing my teeth. And then all of a sudden I was like, I can't move. And my husband's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, when I lift my weight off of my leg, it, it's like, I'm dying. I cannot move. And so he had to it's like insane. carry me. It, <laughs> it was crazy. Insane. Um, it's very intense. Um, fortunately we have a lot of great chiropractors, um, in the area. Um, I went to one who's actually not practicing anymore. Um, but then I found two other ones in my second pregnancy that were just really lifesavers. And as soon as I started going, I had instant, almost instant relief. Yeah. Um, so it's just not so as any kind of like back pain or like pelvic pain or nerve pain or whatever. I just wish more pregnant women knew how easy it can be sometimes to treat. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that definitely. And I would do like, um, there's so many YouTube videos that are great. If you're mm-hmm. having that sciatica or lower back pain, I was doing, um, <laughs> there's like this really popular YouTube video and it's these two very old men. And this video has to be like decades old. Um, but they go through like sciatica stretches and stuff like that. So I was doing that. I was having my husband rub my back and like kind of my glutes. Cause normally it's caused by like that glute being tight. Mm-hmm. I would, um, roll a tennis ball against the wall on my glute, like and I, th- I think I started seeing a chiropractor maybe too late because I never got relief until she was out of me. Um, yeah. But there are so many things that you can do um, to help with it for sure. And chiropractic yeah, I, care does help most people. Totally. I am um, um, the chiropractor that I currently see is like a more like all sports medicine kind of person. And it's taught me a lot about how the sciatica is not necessarily like misalignment in the pelvis sometimes, but is just tightness in your hip muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a Theragun, like one of a percussive massage yeah. device, um, that, uh, that has helped a lot with that as well, but oh, yeah, those- sciatica, man. <laughs> I know you could have a whole podcast just on sciatica. Just on sciatica. Right. <laughs> so for your first daughter, I know you said you had a doula, you were kind of diving into education and research. What was your um, birth vision? What were you, you know, planning for your birth? So both my mom and my aunt had had nearly identical birth stories and that they had, my mom was induced and my aunt went into spontaneous labor, but the point was they had very long, um, very long early and active labors, um, that eventually ended in C-sections because of fetal distress. Um, in both cases, my, me, my head (laughs) and my cousin's head, um, became sort of lodged in the hip socket and just like wouldn't descend um, past, you know, any kind of positive, you know, any kind of station, everything stayed way high up. Um, and I was really determined to avoid a C-section in my head. My first time around, like there was nothing worse or, or than a C-section. And now I know that to be like extremely naive. Um, and we'll get there, but in many cases, I think a recovery from a C-section might've been easier than my recovery from my first vaginal delivery. Um, but so that's what I was sort of doing. I was trying to, to follow all the, the things that would check the list of getting me towards a vaginal delivery. So I wanted a doula. I wanted to labor at home for as long as possible. I wanted to avoid um, an epidural. Um, just I just sort of had this checklist of things that would help reduce my chance of eventually having a C-section. So that's what we walked in with. Um, we came up with um, a birth I called a birth preference sheet, not a birth plan, um, just of things that felt really important to us. Um, and we also did the code word system, which I don't, I think that's a proper term, but, um, we had a code word, my husband and my doula, and I knew it. And if I said my code word, it meant don't ask me if I'm sure, don't remind me of my, my list and my preferences. I want an epidural and I want it right now. Um, so that way we sort of knew it was a safe word, right? Like when I reached my breaking point, I would say my code word. Um, so that's something I recommend to my doula clients now who are aiming to go unmedicated, like just have a word that means I mean business. Yeah. So that's, that's, yeah, that's sort of what we put. We did the, we did the classes at the hospital. Um, I read a bunch of books and yeah, we were just kind of waiting. Okay. So tell me about going into labor. Well, I was, my due date had come and gone as most, as many first time due dates do. Um, and um, my, it was the end of July. So it was extraordinarily hot. My mom and I had spent the, my mom had come down. We'd spent the entire week, like going to different ice cream places and finding indoor places to walk. So the South Park mall and I put a lot of miles on that week. 
Um, I was a little, a couple centimeters dilated, pretty effaced. Um, I had had a membrane sweep or two and just, you know, nothing. Um, some prodromal labor at night, um, but things would just, you know, start and stop. Um, my husband and my mom took me to an escape room because I love escape rooms and they wanted so to fun. help me be distracted. Um, and they were like joking that it would inspire the baby to like get out of a difficult escape. situation. <laughs> escape. So we went to an escape room. Um, highly recommend uh, for your third trimester. And I was starting to feel a little bit more uncomfortable. Um, later that night, we had dinner. I was folding laundry um, and I started to have to stop folding laundry every couple of minutes because I was feeling so uncomfortable. But I didn't want to say anything and I didn't want to, you know, do anything. So at like 1030, I was like, I think something is happening and I'm going to go to bed. And my husband was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I'm going to go to bed. That's what you're supposed to do. If you start feeling contractions late at night, you're supposed to go to bed. So I brush my teeth and I put on my pajamas and my husband's just standing there watching me like a lunatic because every few minutes I had to stop to like breathe and focus on what were clearly contractions. Um, and so I lay down in bed and hopped up immediately because there was no way I could possibly lay down with what was going on. So we started timing contractions and within an hour or two, they had, were getting closer to that five minute mark. Um, I mean, pretty rapidly and they were extremely intense. Um, I was having back labor out the wazoo. It was just all in my back. Um, so, you know, first time parents, they tell you the five, one, one rule, right? Like five minutes apart, you know, uh, lasting a minute for an hour. And we hit that very quickly. And so we were, and it was so intense. I was like, maybe this is all happening really quickly. I've already been a couple centimeters dilated for a few days now, let's go. So around midnight, we went to the hospital and um, we delivered it at, at Presbyterian at Matthews though, at Novant Matthews, which I highly recommend that facility for anyone. It's really, really lovely. Um, my dad calls it the Hampton Inn. Um, it's just clean and um, spacious. And some nice moms and... call it the um, Chick-fil-A of Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, it's great. They're big rooms. It is it's great. It's lovely. Um, and so our doula met us there. They took me into triage. Um, uh, they could tell they, I think it's so funny when you go into triage, like in what you think is, you know, active labor, because they're like, let's check if you're really in labor and you're like crying. You're like, what do you mean if this isn't active labor? So, Hey, I was still three centimeters and 80% of face exactly as I had been a couple of days before, even though I was having these really intense contractions. So, um, they gave me, they were like, okay, go walk around for a while and then come back in half an hour and we'll see, you know, if anything's happening. So we walked the halls. There was nobody there that night. I was the only one in labor. Um, it was silent. Um, but the, the, a couple of the nurses had babies out at the nurse's station with them, like giving the moms, you know, in the rooms, a little bit of a break. So like, I would just like do laps around, like looking at these little babies, which was really helpful. Um, and so we did that for a while. We would walk around then we'd go back to triage and walk around and go back to triage. Cause like they needed to check you know, the baby's heart rate and everything. Um, and after an hour or two of this, I had progressed to a four and they were like, okay, um, you can stay or you can go home, whichever you want. And I was like, what do you mean go home? Like, I am not going home. I am here to have a baby again, because things were so intense and they have progressed. They were like only three, my contractions were only about three minutes apart at this point. So I thought things were happening. Um, uh, turns out they were not, they were going much slower than I thought. My daughter was asynclitic. 
Um, so she was descending at a very bad angle. Her head was turned to the side. Um, she also had a pretty big head. Um, so I was having extreme back labor because I had a baby in a really bad position. Um, so my body was working really hard, um, to, you know, make something happen, happen that didn't want to happen. So they admitted me, I got my HEPLOC and then the next few hours are kind of a, a HEPLOC, meaning like I got an IV, but I didn't have anything going into me yet. Um, and the next few hours are a blur. I really don't remember them. Um, but I do around 6 a.m. I they they offered to do a cervical check again, and I said yes, and I was at a six. And um, at that point, I said my code word. I said peanut butter. I said peanut butter, peanut butter, mother effing peanut butter. <laughs> um, and the nurses looked at me like I was crazy, and my husband and doula instantly communicated, you know, what that meant. I had the world's meanest anesthesiologist come in. I mean, he was just awful, 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 the worst bedside manner. Um, but he gave me an epidural, um, and then I passed out for a while. I just went to sleep. I was completely exhausted. Um, they also, once the epidural was in effect, they broke my water for me. Um, I should also mention that the OB that was on call, I'd never, I'd never met her before. She was my first time ever meeting this woman, um, but she ended up being pretty lovely. So I know a lot of people can be scared of like who might be on call, but for my, in my case, it worked out great. She was perfectly lovely. Um, so after a couple of hours, they checked me again and I was like complete. I was like almost 10 centimeters dilated. It was amazing. And I, and it was only like 10 or 11 AM. We were like, oh, we'll have this baby by lunch. Everything's great. And then they were like, yeah, but the baby's still really high. So let's labor down. So laboring down is when, you know, we're trying to get the baby to descend in the pelvis. And like I said, my daughter was at a really bad angle. So that, that wasn't something she was really interested in doing. Oh, and we were team green. So we didn't know she was a, she was a girl at this point, but, um, the doctor was like, uh, the only babies that are this stubborn are girls. So we're going to assume this is a girl baby. Um, which was pretty funny because it ended up being true. Um, so around noon, I was still attempting to labor down and my epidural started to wear off. Um, so they came in and gave me a booster a bolus, like an extra shot of the medication. And I passed out for a while again, around 2 AM or 2 PM. They, um, so this is like 14 hours into being at the hospital. Um, they were like, baby's still super high, but you're fully dilated. Why don't we start pushing to try and help baby down? So I started pushing around two very like coached guided. I have no idea what I'm doing pushing. And around four, um, my epidural started to wear off again. And so they, um, it was a new anesthesiologist at this point. I will say I never had to see the mean guy again. Um, he came in again and gave me another bolus, but it didn't, it didn't take. And I just kept saying that I felt like there was water running down my back and they kept checking and they're like, no, it's dry. There's no water. And so what I know that means now is that the epidural placement was no longer working. It was not there's medication going into my body, but it was not going into the space where it needed to, to function. So for hours three and four of pushing, I did not have a functional epidural. And I just kind of alternated between crying, screaming, and throwing up. It's, um, it was not fun. <laughs> it was not cool to have relief and then have that relief taken away, um, was really harsh. Um, and baby was still not really descending, um, despite the fact I now could feel, and they were just double peaking, constant contractions. There was nothing manageable. I just couldn't get on top of any of it. Um, 
um, super credit to my, the nurses that were with me that took really, really great care of me. Um, at one point they kept bringing in other nurses to like help with this situation. They were trying so hard to get me a vaginal delivery. Like they were just my birth plan. Nobody walked in the, my birth preference sheet. Nobody walked in the room with that, uh, that piece of paper being shoved in their face. Like at one point, I, I, I think the charge nurse came in and was, they were helping me move to my hands and knees. So despite the fact I quote unquote had an epidural, even though it wasn't working, they still let me switch positions a lot, including getting on my hands and knees. Um, and she was like, go this way. And I told her, I can't go that way. I'll, I pull on my lines if I go that way or something, or I get tangled if I go that way. And I, and she was like, no, 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 go this way. And I did. And I was like, I told you. And my, the nurse that had been with me all day, like made the charge nurse leave. She was like, you, you need to go now. Um, which is not usually the way it happens, but I just really, I always remember them. She retired shortly after my birth, but I'll, I'll never forget. Her name is Mary. I'll never forget her. Um, the charge nurse or no, no, the, the one, the one that was with me, she was, her name was Mary. And then we had, she had a trainee with her. So I had like two LD nurses with me the whole time. Um, and my husband and my doula were amazing this whole time. Um, things again, were really dicey and scary or felt really dicey and scary medically. Everything was fine. Um, and my doula just kept telling my husband that it was okay. That just no matter that, even though it seemed really upsetting, it was okay. I was okay. Um, which my husband always says is like the greatest perk of having a doula is just having that reassurance. Um, and someone that's like, you know, kind of devoted to your mental health as well as, as the birthing person. Um, so around six, the dear doctor that had been with me all day said, I can tell you're out of juice. And she was correct. I was completely out of juice. Um, and she said, we have two options. We can go for a C-section now. It was the first time anybody had said the word C-section or my colleague is going to be here in five minutes. He's coming on call. He is a genius with forceps. You'll have to push five more times and this baby will be out. And I said, I don't have an epidural. And, and she said, well, we have to do it again. And the thought of having to sit up and get another epidural horrified me to such a degree that um, I looked at my husband in just abject horror. Um, and he was like, let's, well, I was sitting bolt upright at this point. And he was like, oh, honey, either way, you have to lie down. So we might as well try the, the forceps, which we'd never discussed at all. Um, and I said, okay. And when I said, okay, it was like a, you know, a starting pistol went off. Suddenly the room was just full of people. Um, because I had, you know, bright lights, the whole thing. Cause I had my, the OB that had been on call with me, her team, the new OB that was coming in his team, there had been some meconium staining, um, in my water when they broke it. So the NICU team had to be there. So, I mean, it was just a party and it was funny. Cause one of the things on my birth preference sheet was that I wanted it as like private and intimate as possible. And I couldn't have given two rats tales about who was in that room at that point. If you had told me Joe Schmo on the corner could come in and deliver my baby, I would have been like, great, come on in. Here's my <laughs> vagina. Um, so it's just funny. The things you think will be important to you don't always necessarily end up being important to you. So this man came in, um, this new doctor, he introduced himself and I, apparently, I don't remember this. I said, I don't care who you are. Just do it, do it now. Um, again, all the, all the while I'm having contractions like every minute. Um, and he took out his, I kid you not, personalized forceps. Yep. They have his name emblazoned. You probably know who I'm talking about. I do know who you're talking about. <laughs> He's a genius. He's not, it's not a lie. Like there are very few doctors that are like properly trained on 
it's not taught anymore really it's exactly it's just not anymore it's much easier to like quote unquote easier to do the c-section than it is to do an operative delivery but so he came in with his personalized forceps my doula told me about that after the fact she's like his name was on them um and truly no kidding it was like I pushed two more times and then all of a sudden there was this baby on me just like out just like there um reminder that I had this forceps delivery without an epidural without a functioning epidural there was technically tape on my back but it wasn't doing anything um so I felt every, every inch of it. Mm. Um, the picture of me that my doula took the second that she was born, I'm looking at my husband in just complete horror. I, I just, I no longer thought I was having a baby. I just thought I was dying. Like I, there oh. was no, it was really, it was really intense. Yeah. Um, so, but there she was and she was perfect. And they were like, that was a terrible angle. You know, she was just at a bad angle. And the doctor said, um, literally like as they're delivering the placenta, he was like, your next one is not going to be like this. Your next one will be much easier. And apparently I said, the next one will be adopted. Um, <laughs> like, the fact that he was talking to me about another delivery, you know, while I'm falling apart still. Um, so, oh, he also asked, he was like, let's up her Pitocin. And um, my nurses were like, she has not received any Pitocin yet. This, and he was like, uh, she did this without Pitocin. And I was like, damn straight I did. Um, <laughs> so I always feel a little bit proud of that. Um, yes, so they, they, anyway, my placenta sort of just like slid out and my daughter was completely fine. The NICU team was able to leave right away. Her APGAR scores were great. There was no issues there. And, um, and that was, was kind of that. I have an extremely special place in my heart for, of course, I don't remember her name, but the labor and delivery nurse that came in. So the shift ended at six and my daughter was born at six 30, but my nurses stayed until my delivery right. was complete. And then, so, but as soon as it was over, they were gone and this new woman came in and the care that labor and delivery nurses take in like cleaning you when you go to the bathroom for the first time, because my epidural was just, com- was gone. So I was able to get out of bed pretty quickly and walk myself to the bathroom. Um, and I just always think about that, like super tender moment. And this woman just like, you know, wiping blood gently off of me after I've just gone through this crazy experience and getting emotional thinking about that. I just, Aww. that's a, it's a part people don't really talk about, but it's, you're a new person, you know, you've just become a new person. Um, so we stayed in the hospital for sort of your standard amount of days. The doctor had thrown a bunch of stitches in. And I asked um, how many they did as if the number mattered. Um, And finally, when she was doing my discharge, a midwife who actually ended up being the same midwife who was on call when my son was born um, said, oh, honey, this is a a very intense third degree tear. This is going to take some time. And that was the first time that someone explained to me sort of the, not even, they didn't explain to me. I knew what that meant for my own research, but nobody sort of taught me what my injury was and what it might mean. So we went home um, to do the long story short of my postpartum recovery. I got a really severe infection um, in my injury. Um, I kept calling to my OB's office, telling them that I was having these symptoms and they just kept calling in new nausea prescriptions um, where it's obviously very clear in hindsight that I was an infection that I was suffering from, not just typical postpartum nausea. Um, I eventually went to, we have a really lovely fear with Novant OB urgent care 
here. I eventually went there where a magical nurse practitioner told me that she thought surgery would probably eventually be where I ended up to help uh, with all this repair work. Over the next few weeks, I had to continue going to my OB every few weeks for scar tissue treatment. They tried silver nitrate. They tried burning it a bunch of times, which is just a really super special feeling um, to have this, you know, constantly being done to your vagina. Um, I finally went and got a second opinion from somebody else after spending a few weeks just trying to accept that maybe constant pain was just the way I was going to have to live my life now, who identified that it wasn't just scar tissue. I had developed full on vaginal polyps. Mm. Um, and he was like, we're going to knock you out and we're going to take care of these and you're going to be all better, which is what the nurse had told me at the urgent care would eventually need to happen as a surgery. So I just, I feel like I just lost so much time. Um, so I had surgery, um, and almost six months to the day from the day my daughter was born, I was finally quote unquote medically cleared from my delivery. Um, so it was a six month before I was like, quote unquote, okay. Right. And then of course I just had a newborn, um, a newborn who had severe lip and tongue ties, which we eventually got revised, um, and just figuring all that sort of stuff out. So needless to say, my first birth was a little bit traumatic. Yes. And I did a lot of good therapy to get past, not get past it, to understand it. Right. To understand what it could mean for me as a person and for me as a future person who wanted to have more babies. And for you as a doula, you know? Yes. Um, through all this, I maintain that the birth wasn't the most traumatic part. Birth is just unpredictable and crazy. The most traumatic part was, um, not being heard and understood in my postpartum complications, just multiple things happening that didn't need to happen. If my care providers had just listened to me um, and treated me as, as the patient still, as opposed to just the mother. Yeah. I I like that you said that, like you kind of realized the birth wasn't necessarily the traumatic part. It was the postpartum. And that's not to say, you know, birth can be traumatic for people, Mm -hmm. but it does, it, it does sound like you've done tons of healing towards it to be able to look at it and be like, you know, I couldn't have controlled that her head was in there a little bit odd. I think that you had the best birth outcome for, you know, the scenario that you were given and you, you Mm -hmm. tried your hardest, you did your best, um, no regrets there, but, um, postpartum. Yeah. Like you said, like that time kind of that you missed trying to heal when in the end you really just needed this operation that that nurse practitioner had told you, you probably would need from the start. Um, I think it goes to say though, like, of course, like advocate for yourself postpartum, you know, if you're, if they're throwing nausea medication at you and you're like, no, this is something a little bit deeper, like never be afraid to challenge that and to, you know, ask for more tests or go to an urgent care or seek a second opinion. Um, I think that that is like a great kind of story to, to tell that. Yeah. I always, when I have friends now that have given birth, I'm always like, Hey, here's what's normal in the first few days postpartum. And here's what's not right. And if you have any of these things, do not be afraid to show up at the door, Mm -hmm. um, at the office, you know, don't like, don't let them dismiss it. Yes. Um, without looking at you because one look at, at what was going on would have shown them instantly what a severe infection I had. And I just, I didn't know. Right. especially when it's your first baby, you know, like you, you don't know, you're like, well, maybe this amount of pain is normal for my healing. Maybe this amount of bleeding is maybe this nausea is maybe this like, you know, hot flashes or even a little bit of a fever. Like maybe I'm just, you know, healing down there. And that's um, a huge thing to say, or even like passing a few clots, like, you know, some people, 
if you're not educated on that, like in the hospital, which you should be, but you know, it doesn't always happen. Um, it can be really hard to, to know what's normal. And that that's also a great reason to even have a doula because you can turn back to your doula, even postpartum and be like, Hey, is this normal? Is this normal? And they can kind of guide you and point you, um, to tell you if it is or isn't. Totally. Totally. And I, um, ibuprofen can mask a lot. Like, I mean, for, for an infection of fever can be like a main symptom of course, but I was on constant ibuprofen to help with the pain. So of course I didn't have a fever because I was already taking something to manage that. So just remembering what medications you are taking can be masking symptoms or things, you know, of, of other stuff. And some nausea can be totally normal postpartum, especially as your milk comes in, if you're nursing, um, or if you're not nursing, you're trying to stop that milk. Um, that can be really normal, but just there's a, there's a spectrum of normal. And And I think you have like kind of an instinct of being like, "Mm, uh, this just kind of seems off, um, for sure to kind of gauge that even, even if it's your first baby, I really think that we all kind of have a little bit of that instinct. Totally. So that was your first birth story. Um, (laughs) definitely, you know, like you said, not, not what you were planning for, not what your birth preferences would have outlined, but, um, you know, it does seem like you're in a great place. And honestly, like that testimony in that story only helps you to, you know, go further in the work that you're doing as a doula and even as a birth educator, because you firsthand can relate to these things. Um, I always kind of thought that with like my miscarriage, I was like, you know, this is terrible in the midst of it. And I wouldn't wish this upon anybody, but, um, but now I know you can't yeah. relate to somebody unless you've walked through it. So it's like, it. Yep. sometimes I think that, you know, those, those bad situations can still be used for good for sure. Um, because other people are going to go through it. And now you can say, you can sympathize in a different way and say, you know, I've, I've actually been there too. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes. Okay. So now let's talk about your second birth, your second pregnancy. Tell me about finding out you're pregnant with your one-year-old. So, um, my son, um, we, it's funny because my son is almost the same age that my daughter was when we were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's have another baby. And I look at him now, my second one. And I'm like, no way in heck, am I ready to do this again? <laughs> um, but so when my daughter was around 17, 16, 17 months old, we we're like, let's yeah, 15, 15, 16 months. We we're like, let's go for it. And then history repeated itself. It was the craziest thing. First shot out of the gate, we got pregnant. Um, and a couple of weeks in I had, <laughs> an almost identical miscarriage experience. Um, this one was a little bit earlier, but I sort of knew immediately. I knew all the signposts. I knew what the, what the treatment plan was going to be. I knew, oh, and I will say that in this time I switched providers. I stayed with the same practice because I wanted to go back to Matthews if I, if I were to have future pregnancies, but I switched to midwifery care within the practice I was in. Um, so, uh, that provider was really lovely and sort of, again, walked me through that process. And then she was like, there's no reason to wait. You do you like if whenever you're ready to try again, go for it. Um, and we had this sort of like limited window where we could get pregnant again, um, trying to time things around one of my sister's weddings and then LOL, this is 2020. So, you know, calendars didn't matter, but the beginning of 2020, it seemed important. Um, <laughs> So we were like, we'll give it one more. Sh- we'll just let things happen for a month and then we'll take a break. Um, and it, it happened again. So again, exact same situation, a pregnant immediately after an early miscarriage. So that was with my son. Okay. So end of January, we decided to move. We found a new house and put our house on the market kind of immediately so that we could get our new house. Um, we got under contract for everything on Monday and I found out I was pregnant on Wednesday. We were moving three weeks later. Um, 
And then we moved at the beginning, we moved into the new house at the beginning of uh, March and the world shut down three days later. Stay-at-home order started three days later. Yep. Um, so fortunately, my husband was able to go to our first first scan um, before partners were kicked out of offices. Um, I also did not believe that COVID was really a thing at the beginning because I was too busy trying to not throw up while caring for a toddler. So I was very much in denial that it was a thing because it felt like I had bigger fish to fry. Yes. Um, so, but uh, my first trimester ended, uh, you know, March, 2020, um, sort of when everything, everything was in the, in the thick of it. Yes. Um, really, again, textbook pregnancy. Um, I did feel sicker this time, but I don't know if that's because it was different or because I had a toddler. And so my ability to cope was just maybe a little bit lower. So you I weren't getting up... those naps and uh... <laughs> there was very limited napping. I was moving. Um, so I took, I ended up taking a prescription. Um, it was diclegious at the time, but I think it's changed names now that Unison B6 combo. Um, and it made me really sleepy, but it made me be able to function with my toddler, which was important. Um, uh, Again, I had heartburn, I had sciatica, but I started treating those things so much earlier this time around because I knew what magic those it could do and how what a better quality of life I could have as a pregnant person. We joked that it was my secret pregnancy because if we had not made a point of telling people, nobody besides like our neighbors would have known that I was pregnant. Um, because we didn't really see, didn't anybody. see anybody, yeah. Didn't see anybody. Um we, um, oh, I will say, so I, we were team green again. We didn't know what we were having, but I did have two very different symptoms this time that I didn't, or that were just different for my daughter. The first was that with my daughter, I had really bad skin, like, you know, acne and stuff, especially in the first and second trimesters. And with my son, I did not, I had beautiful skin. Might've also been because I wasn't wearing makeup because it wasn't going anywhere, but we're going to go with, it was different. Yes. <laughs> Hormonally. And then with my daughter, I had a really dark, um, I'm going to mispronounce it, but linea nigra. Linea nigra, yeah. Yeah. That dark line that some people get in their belly for no and you know reason. Um, with my daughter, it went all the way from like the top of my fundus all the way down. Um, with my son, it stopped at my belly button. Um, and it wasn't that dark. So it was really different. So that those two things made me really sure that it was going to be a boy this time. So I'm two for two on guessing, guessing my kids, my kids sexes. <laughs> um, yeah, but we planned with the same doula that we had had the first time around, same hospital, different care this time. Like I said, we were with a midwife. Um, my husband couldn't go to any of our appointments after that first scan in February, um, but everything was really textbook and normal besides the whole you know, world shutdown part. Yeah. Um, as we approached my third trimester, um, Novant started allowing doulas in if they had been approved by the hospital system, which is a whole other conversation, but <laughs> my doula was on the list, which I'm grateful for because it meant that she could be there with me. I can't imagine having done it without her again. And we just sort of prepared. Um, this is pre-vaccines. This is, you know, pre-even testing being that super widely available. My mom quarantined for two weeks um, where she lives before coming down to be with us um, around my due date so that she could take care, take care of my daughter. So that was so were you now, what were your birth preferences for this one? Was it kind of, you know, the same as what you had preferred for your first or did that first experience kind of change everything that you were planning? Um, I was not interested in operative delivery again. Okay. 
So I knew if we got to a point where um, vacuums or forceps or something would have to be used, um, I would, I was ready for a C-section instead. Um, my birth preference sheet kind of got cut in half <laughs> um, because things that again, I thought were really important to me ended up not privacy. No, I couldn't care less who's in there. Um, um, we did the code word thing again for, you know, pain medication. Um, I did a lot more research on optimal fetal positioning. Um, so I was doing like the spinning babies, daily essentials, exercises, and yoga video a lot. Um, I'm really grateful for, there's this like um, Charlotte prenatal collective. It used to be a bunch of teachers that primarily taught at yoga one in Plaza Midwood, but now it's changed. Um, they primarily teach at Okra, the yoga one closed, um, but they still had a lot of uh, they had did virtual classes throughout the pandemic. So I'm really grateful for them because I was able to still do a lot of prenatal yoga. And yeah, I just, I really wanted to focus on staying as calm as possible and not thinking I was further ahead than I was. Um, not getting to the hospital too early, not, um, you know, if my daughter or if my, if the baby was in a bad position, like trying to move them out of said position instead of just dealing with it. Um, so yeah, so again, sort of hoping for, again, let's like try for an unmedicated experience, but I was much more open to the, the possibility of a C-section because again, my healing had been so complicated. Right. With my right. first, I wasn't interested in repeating that. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So you were, you know, if it got to the point where you were in the same situation as your first one, you, you would have chosen a C-section versus kind of the four steps and then all, that long recovery. Yep. Gotcha. And we got, there's a point in the labor where we thought that's what was going to happen. Oh goodness. Okay. Well, let's jump into that. So tell me about going into labor and kind of how your labor progressed. So average first time moms deliver or go, go into labor, deliver 40 plus five, which is exactly when my daughter was born. Average second time moms go 40 plus three, which is exactly when my son was born. So I'm proud to say that I'm very average. Um, so my due date came and went once again, had a membrane sweep done. I think those are basically useless, but I had it done anyway. Yeah. Uh, again, I was three centimeters dilated and 80% of face. It was just like, okay, history is repeating itself. Here we go. Um, I was really anxious for labor to start this time. Um, even though I told myself I wouldn't be, um, mostly because I hated feeling like a watched pot. My mom was already there. Um, uh, and I knew we only had my mom for a limited amount of time. So I didn't, she had to get home for something at the end of, I was doing October. She had to get home for for something at the end of October. So for every day, the baby wasn't here. That was another day that we were all just like twiddling our thumbs. Right. Um, So I was doing, I used my breast pump this time to try and and get things going. Um, I would just sit on it for like 10 minutes, um, an hour for like three hours in a row. And then I would take a break and then just sort of that. We were doing a lot of puzzles on the pump and it, the pump just made me like really crampy, but yeah. I didn't like get anything going, but I knew what I was doing with the breast pump. So I was like, yeah, might as well. Um, I woke up, um, the morning of the, ele- oh, and my, my due date was 10, nine. And I, I really loved the idea of the birthday being 10, 10, 20. So I was also like, really wanted to go out to labor on 10, yeah. 10, you know, for a 10, 10, 20 birthday that was not to be. I went into labor. I woke up the morning of the 11th early in the morning with definite timeable contractions. I was like, okay, here we go. And then I fell back asleep. So clearly not here we go. <laughs> um, and then I, um, this is a Sunday afternoon. I took a virtual class with, um, a teacher named Bonique, who is the same teacher that I had the day I went into labor with my daughter. 
So I was like, give me those good vibes, Bo. Mm -hmm. And during my yoga class, I started having contractions again. Um, so she did it. She, she's done it twice. Um, <laughs> my husband and I took a walk around the neighborhood, which is something I tell dual clients to like, take a walk. If it stops, it's not real. If it keeps going, we've got this. Um, and then I just sort of focused on staying calm and managing things. I stayed up in my room away from my daughter. Um, I took a really long shower. I watched call the midwife. I had saved that show to watch during labor. I tried to snack, just sat on my ball and just sort of dealt with things, was in constant contact with my doula. Around 7, 6, 7 p.m., we had a really bad thunderstorm, like tornado warning thunderstorm. We also put my daughter to bed. And then as soon as my daughter was in bed, I was like, we have to go. We have to go to the hospital right now. My husband was like, it's literally like a tornado outside. And I was like, don't care. It's time to go. So we drove to the hospital in the middle of an absolutely horrendous thunderstorm. Um, newsflash, we definitely could have waited a little while longer, but it's fine. In the moment, you're irrational. Once my daughter was in bed, my body was like, it's, it's go time. I have right. to go. I have to. It's time to go. Got to the hospital. Um, obviously super different this time around because I had to be in a mask. And um, they were still letting doulas into triage at this point. So my doula met us in triage. Um, now I think they, they don't let them come in the triage room, but they did in between contractions and everything they swabbed, they COVID tested me. Um, these were the, again, this is a while ago. So these were like the brain scratcher tests. You know, they like go, Oh, they go so high now it's much easier. Um, and they were, they did a cervical check and they're like, Oh, you're seven centimeters. And I was so thrilled. I can't even begin to describe it because I was like, it is real. Like I am an active labor this time. Um, it's also really funny to me the way labor and delivery nurses treated a second time mom. Like I'd be walking down the hallway and then stop and struggle. And they'd be like, does she need a wheelchair? And the nurse would go, ah, it's her second. And they'd be like, okay. And they just keep walking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I really wanted to do the tub this time. So as soon as we got to our room, they filled up the tub for me and I got in and I just kind of tried to go inward and just focus. Um, I was there for a while. Things were, were managed, not managed. I mean, they were hard, but they were manageable. And then I was scared that I was in one position for too long. And if I was in one position for too long, things were going to slow down or stop or whatever. So I switched positions and I tried to flip over to my hands and knees. And as soon as I flipped, sat up and got up on my knees, I started experiencing um, the fetal ejection reflex. So I was pushing. There was no stopping it. It's like I've heard it described as like when you're throwing up, but like out your butt, like you That's, can't stop it. Yep. It's like dry heating. It's yeah. Off the other end. Yep. Yeah. It's just it's exactly how it feels. And I mean, they heard it in my voice. The nurses heard it. When I had my daughter, I was the only one on the floor. Um, with my son, it was very different. There was many, many people there. And my midwife was running from room to room. So the nurses and um, uh, when they heard me making that noise, rushed to get the midwife and get me out of the tub and get me on the bed because they're like, this baby must be coming now. Um, and I was like a nine, but I wasn't fully, di I wasn't fully dilated. So they're like, you can't push yet. Um, there's still a pretty thick cervical lip. It's not time. And so my midwife, she literally like delivered a baby and then ran out. And so now she had to like go back to like deliver the placenta. Like that was how crazy it was that night. Um, <clears throat> so for the next few hours, it was just me trying to stop pushing while um, I finished dilating. And so um, just doing lots of horse lifts and lots of breathing out and just trying to stop that bearing down, um, which is extremely hard to stop doing. 
So a few hours go by with this, they do another cervical check and I am now making reverse progress because I'm swelling. Mm. Um, so my midwife who midwife, who is, who's just a wonderful person, um, said, I know what you want and I know what your goal is here. And I know you don't want an epidural, but I think that's the right tool to use here in this case, because you got to relax. We have to stop this swelling if we want this to happen. Um, and I just, I've always, I really admire the way she said that. Like, I think this is the tool we need to use right now, as opposed to an epidural being this like bad thing. This was just, it was just a tool. It was just yeah. a choice. Um, and so I agreed. And then I had the world's nicest anesthesiologist <laughs> um, who walked in and I was like, I had a really mean guy last time. So I need you to be nice to me. And he was like, okay. And then he was, he was delightful. <laughs> he placed the world's most perfect epidural, <clears throat> most perfect epidural. And everyone sort of went to sleep for a little while. They broke my water again. Um, I had a really thick or like a double bag of water because my water had been like leaking this entire time, but hadn't actually broken. So like, I mean, I would be standing there and water would just be coming out, but then they actually broke it and tons more came out. So it was, it was a very strange experience. Um, and um, got some rest. Um, the midwife, again, same story. It was like, Hey, you're complete. This baby is still really high. And I was like, Oh, okay. So history is just completely repeating itself. This is it. Um, and my midwife was like, you know, I, um, oh, my shift ends at 6am um, or 7am. I'm going to come back and check you then. And we'll decide what, what we're going to do. And I had, I had met the doctor on call and I was very confident in her and she had purple hair, which I just thought was cool. So my midwife is like, I'm coming, I go off call at seven. So let me, I'll come check in at seven and we'll make a plan from there. And in my head, I was like, I did some like deep thinking and deep breathing. And I was like, let's have a C-section. Let's do this. I'm not interested in the next part of history repeating itself. And in his head, oh, and my, so my doula and my husband are sitting in their chair, respective chairs, texting each other. And both of them said, I think C-section is probably the right call. They didn't share that with me because they didn't know that that's what I was thinking. So um, all of us though had decided let's do a C-section. So she comes back in at like seven. And at this point I'm starting to feel pressure, just like pressure down below, but I didn't want to get excited about it. Um, she was like, let's check and see what's happening. And she reaches down, she feels, and she was like, yeah, you're at a plus one. And I was like, I've never been a plus anything on my own. Like, <laughs> what? She was like, let's have a baby. And I was like, yes, let's have a baby. And so she was like, I'm going, but the next person she'll be in in just a little bit and check on you, but you just push, do whatever you want. So again, so different from my last one, which was this like, let's do this. Let's guided counting, pushing all that jazz. So we just start like playing around with pushing and stuff. I'm a really big fan of tug of war, yes. like using the sheet. Um, so my doula was doing, doing some of that with me. And then this new midwife walks in who I'd never met before, but she's like, hi. Yeah, blah blah blah. Let's have a baby. Um, unlike with my first, there was no extra team. There had been no meconium, so there was no NICU team. There was one nurse. There was this like you know the random tech that brings in all the stuff. Um, there was my husband. There was my doula, and she just like she didn't even turn the lights on. She just sat down at the edge of the bed and took a look. She was like, okay, whatever you want, whenever you're ready. And so I just kind of pushed when I felt the urge to push. Like I said, the world's most perfect epidural. So I ha definitely had the urge and I looked and they were like, okay, here it's, you know, the baby's coming. And I was, I said to my husband, I was like, no, it's not. 
And my husband looks down. He's, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. And so I, I, again, I still didn't believe him because this is not what it had looked like the first time. Like I was like, there has to be lights and a, and a whole thing. And so I reached and stirrups and stuff when I didn't, I didn't use stirrups and I reached down and there was the head right there. And I was like, oh, okay. And so a couple more pushes later, I pushed for like 15 minutes total. That's and out he came my almost nine pound, um, 97th percentile boy my husband had was convinced he was another girl so when it was a boy it was a whole moment and oh. my doula got that all on video of him you know saying it was a boy and I just kept screaming not screaming but saying very loudly I did it I did it I did it and the nurse and and the, the midwife had been given a quick they knew what my history was with my last birth so they knew what a victorious moment this was for me yeah. um and she, I guess the camera is still rolling and the midwife like looks down and she was like, um, you have a paper cut. That's the extent of this, a paper cut. And I, I was, I screamed all over again. Like I, it was, it was the same level of joy I'd had that the baby was actually out, was learning that I had gotten an injury. Um, and my physical recovery with him was night and day. Like they kept asking me in the hospital, like your pain level. And I was like, can I say zero? Am I, am I allowed to say zero? Um, and it was, um, it was amazing. I had more bleeding the second time around, which I think is common. So they had me on Pitocin for a little while to, to really get that under control. Um, but, um, it wasn't anything crazy. It was just, you know, sort of typical. Um, we opted to leave the hospital after about 24 hours. Um, again, because of COVID, um, and I, I really wanted to get home to my daughter. Um, but it was, we we joke it's still the quietest twenty four hours we've had you know Ben or Sin it was it. just uh, it's just my yeah. husband and I and the baby and you know there's less people coming in and out of your room because of COVID um, oh at some point my test had come back negative but nobody ever said anything I finally asked because as soon as I got to my room I ripped my mask off and nobody ever said anything you would have known if it was positive <laughs> exactly but I was like oh by the way did that ever come back um, <laughs> but I mean nobody got mad when I had taken the mask off already yeah um, but honestly like in before I, I did take the mask off and everything, it wasn't that, it was not that big a deal um, having it on. Um, yeah, and just so physical recovery night and day, um, my son I, I then also had a severe lip and tongue tie, but I recognized it right away. We got it taken care of right away. Good. Um, I did experience, so with my daughter, I had some PTSD and postpartum anxiety. And with my, my son, I had um, postpartum depression. Um, I was very much in denial that that was the case. It took me about four or five months to admit that I was not okay. Um, my midwife and my, and my son's pediatrician identified it much faster than I did um, and sort of kept following up with me again and again. Um, I think a lot of it was COVID life, yes. you know, piled on top of having um, a newborn and a toddler. Um, so I'm really curious if we do have a third you know, I've had one really, really difficult physical recovery and one really, really difficult emotional recovery. Yes. And I'm really curious what like quote unquote normal recovery would feel like, but you never know what you're going to get. Right. Um, no. no idea, but uh, yeah, just physically, I mean, absolutely night and day. Um, this postpartum time I did do um, pelvic floor PT because I was just having some um, tightness and whatnot. Um, and so I saw a person that does inter 
going to work as well as, you know, just external exercise. And I just think it's absurd that pelvic floor PT is not the standard of care in this country. Right. Um, it's magical and remarkable. And if you sneeze your baby out, you should go see a pelvic floor PT. They do magical, magical work. Um, but yeah, that was my son. So I, like I said, it was history repeating itself almost everywhere along the way, except for the very end where it was like the vaginal birth of my dreams. <laughs> yes. I'm so happy that you got to have that like redemptive victory birth after everything that you went through with your first. Um, and I love how you kind of said, like, you know, when you thought history was repeating itself, you kind of still, it wasn't repeating itself in a way though, because you had already came to the terms like, okay, that's fine. I'll have a C-section that way. History can't repeat itself type of thing. Right. So I think that, um, it's amazing that you were able to be in a good headspace to where like, you know, I think as a doula, we always say like, you know, instead of a birth plan, you know, we might use that term loosely, but we really like to harp on it being birth preferences and you can't control birth and the baby's in control. And, um, so I think that, you know, that's great that you were able to just come to terms with it and be like, you know what, if she checks me and I'm still swollen, um, or going in reverse, a C-section is going to be what's needed. And that's fine. Um, you were able to kind of accept that, but you know, it's amazing, even more amazing that that wasn't the route that you had to go, but had you had to, you were okay with it. And I think that that yeah. is so important for any birthing person, um, no matter what your birthing history is or anything, just to, you know, accept alternative things and not see them like an epidural, like you said, see it mm -hmm. as a tool. It's not some negative, awful, you failed, um, because you had to get, you know, a, a pain relief and same with the C-section. It's not like you failed birth. You can't give birth, um, because you had to have an operation. Like mm -hmm. these are all tools and it's amazing that we have them, you know, shoot for the stars, go for what you want, plan for what you think is the best birth for you. But you know, be able to accept in the end, um, the alternatives, because it's not failure. It's, it's just, you know, you can't control it. You can't. And I think it's important to think about your birth preferences in really in terms of what's important to you and the things right. you value, as opposed to the actual action step. So yes. like for me, it wasn't a vaginal delivery versus a C-section. Mm -hmm. The thing that I found that I really valued was feeling in control. Mm -hmm. um, so things had gotten so out of control in my first one, which is why it felt so upsetting. But by feeling that I was going to be able to take the power back and make make a decision either way right. um, is what felt important. So like if feeling really calm mm -hmm. and present is really important to you, then you might want to go in planning for some kind of pain medication right. because that's going to help you, hopefully help you stay present. It's also just, um, it's important to remember that nothing is guaranteed, right? And you can make all the, you know, quote unquote, right decisions and things will still happen. Um, and things will happen to you that you've never heard of before, or, you know, a nurse has never seen before, or, um, you know, it's never happened that way in that order on that day. Yeah. And yeah. And you just can't plan for that. Yes. Yeah. Even as you know, a nurse and having been a part of hundreds of births, um, I don't think there's ever a day at work, even as a, as a doula or as a nurse that I don't learn something new or see something new. Um, no birth is ever like another, they're all, they're all so different. Yeah. Like uh, my placenta had like a double wall and, um, my doula was, or my, my, the midwife was like, yeah, look, I've never seen this before. Like, <laughs> exactly. oh, that would be why my water was like breaking 14 times. Like, right. just, um, I do also, I highly recommend that people look at their placenta. Yes. It's so cool. <laughs> um, it's so cool. So like my first, I couldn't really sit up with my first. So my doula took a video of it for me but with my second. I took like a, like a tour. We took a tour of my placenta. Yeah. took a tour of it. I love it. <laughs> so Rachel, thank you for sharing both your birth stories. Do you have have like a top piece of advice for a mom that you would like to share? Uh, hire a doula. 
um hire doula um i just think having an, an extra person there to help you um navigate the whole experience is just invaluable um yeah having my top piece of advice is to get a doula yeah i love that i i couldn't agree more <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rachel. Well, thank you for um, just giving me your time today and sharing both of your birth stories with us. It was great having you on. Thank you so much. I just think that what you're doing and sharing stories is, is so important. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.